a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. So glad to be with you today. Uh, once again, homebound. But that's all right. We're not going to let that uh, stand in the way of a great show. In fact, we have Second Amendment attorney and scholar Steve Holbrook joining us on the program here in just a moment. We're going to be tackling the lie that just won't die when it comes to our right to keep and bear arms. The idea that the only reason why we have a Second Amendment was because southern states wanted to be able to keep slaves in subjugation and the right of the people to keep and bear arms was apparently their tool to do so. We're going to get into the uh, roots of this theory, which, by the way, only go back about 20 years or so. And then we're going to get into the real history of the ratification of the Second Amendment, as well as the desire on the part of early Americans in states that really didn't have a lot of slavery uh, to ensure that their individual right to keep and bear arms was not stripped from them. In fact, in some cases, you had states actually abolish slavery at the very same time they were protecting the right of the people to keep and bear arms. So we're going to talk about that with Steve Holbrook here momentarily. But before we do that, we do have a special message for you. Do you miss President Trump? Oh, you're not alone, and I'm coming to you with a very special offer that you do not want to miss. Now's your chance to enter to win one of six signed photos of President Trump. These were hand-signed by President Trump, and soon one could be hanging up in your home. When President Trump signed these photos, he wanted to make sure that all of his supporters had the chance to receive one, and now is your chance. All you have to do is text GUNS to 55404 today for your chance to win a beautiful photo of President Trump and First Lady Melania Trump hand-signed by President Trump himself. By texting GUNS to 55404 right now, You'll also get exclusive double-entry activation for a limited time. Again, text GUNS to 55404 to have your name entered twice to win a hand-signed Trump photo. You don't want to miss this, and the contest ends soon. Paid for by the National Republican Senatorial Committee. All right, now let's turn our attention to our conversation with our friend Steve Hallbrook, Second Amendment attorney and scholar, uh, about the supposed racist roots of the Second Amendment and what the history books really tell us. So I'm very pleased to have with us on the show today, uh, Steve Hallbrook, Second Amendment attorney and scholar who is out with a new piece uh, debunking a, a decades old uh, theory regarding the origins of the Second Amendment. This is a pernicious myth about the origins of the Second Amendment. And I'm glad Steve is here to talk about it. Steve, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Good to see you again, Cam. Glad to be on the show. It, it is great to see you. And I'm really, really pleased that you're writing about this. Um, this actually came up, I was doing an interview this week uh, on a uh, station out of uh, North Carolina, and one of the hosts brought up this argument. Listen, the Second Amendment, he said, this was, this was uh, the only reason why we have a Second Amendment is, is so that uh, Southern states could keep slaves in check. Uh, and if it weren't for the Southern states trying to, you know, keep slaves in bondage, uh, we wouldn't have a right to bear arms. That, that's roughly how this argument goes, Right. Right. Um, I posted my article on SSRN, which you can access uh, if you just Google my name, Stephen Hallbrook, and was the Second Amendment adopted, or, or rather the Second Amendment was adopted to protect liberty, not slavery, a reply to Professors Bogus and Anderson. Carl Bogus, professor of law, started this theory back in the 90s, and it basically said, well, 
Um, Madison drafted the Second Amendment as part of a secret plot to protect slavery, and it was foisted upon the northern states, and it, it was only adopted for that one purpose. And um, it, it's a ridiculous theory, and it kind of went away a long time, but then Professor Carol Anderson just wrote a new book called The Second, and she continues the plot and the theory of the plot and uh, says a lot of bad things about the Second Amendment. Uh, I mean, the whole problem all along on this issue has been failure to recognize Second Amendment rights for everybody, as opposed to monopolizing uh, exercise of that right, just like First Amendment. I mean, slaves had no First Amendment rights either. First Amendment wasn't adopted to protect slavery. And so what the article does is to go into a historical analysis. We know the the predecessor of the Second Amendment was the English Declaration of Rights of 1689. And that right protect, or rather that declaration protected the right of Protestants to have arms. Um, that was a problem in regard to discrimination against Catholics, but it sure had nothing to do with slavery. There was no slavery in, issue in England. Um, and then when, when our country uh, declared its independence, you start to have states adopting um, protection for the right to bear arms. And the first one was Pennsylvania. And it uh, protected the right of the people to bear arms in defense of themselves and the state. Pennsylvania soon thereafter abolished slavery. Uh, Vermont declared in its Declaration of Rights of 1777 that the same thing as Pennsylvania, that the people have a right to bear arms. And it abolished slavery in that very same constitution. So don't tell me the right to bear arms is traced to, to some kind of secret conspiracy of the southern states. Uh, and I go through the whole history. We end up um, in the Virginia Ratification Convention, and you had um, the some proponents of um, the Constitution arguing about, well, the federal government doesn't have too much power over the militia, and you have the anti-federalists arguing that it does and, and uh, proposing amendments about the militia. Uh, but the right to bear arms was an individual right, and it was treated completely separately from the, the militia issue. And, and the other part about this whole theory is that the southern states didn't need or even use militias to um, guard slavery. They used slave patrols. And you don't need um, a, a militia to have slave patrols. So there was never any danger um, under the new constitution of, of slavery being somehow um, ability to, of Congress to abolish slavery if they had too much power over the militia. The whole theory is concocted in a crazy way. Just to give you one very practical example. Yeah. James Madison proposed the Second Amendment June 8, uh, 1789, First Federal Congress. And Tench Cox wrote an article explaining that the Second Amendment was supposed to guard against standing armies and to um, protect against tyranny. Guess who T Tench Cox was? He was the secretary of the Abolition Society, the, the society that advocated the abolition of slavery. And you'll find many of the um, abolitionists very strongly supporting Second Amendment rights. And so um, the, the time finally came, to, I think, to explode this theory. And that's what I think my article does. It, it, and it does so quite well. I, but I've got to ask you, I mean, how does... How does bogus, and I love, by the way, we get to talk about the bogus theory uh, yeah. here. H how does Professor Bogus and Professor Anderson, how do they deal with the fact that 
1776 and in 1777, uh, northern states like Pennsylvania and Vermont were uh, enshrining the individual right to keep and bear arms in their state constitutions. How, how, I mean, that, that completely, as you say, completely undercuts the argument that, well, the, the only reason why we have a Second Amendment was to uh, protect slavery in the South. Do they even address this at all? No, that's how they get around it. Like, let, let me back up a second. The The state of Vermont was, I'm sorry, New Hampshire, was the very first state to ratify the Constitution and at the same time to demand a Bill of Rights, including a, a prohibition on Congress disarming the citizenry. And, and after that came Virginia. Um, and of course, uh, New Hampshire also uh, had abolished slavery at the same time. So they... Uh, Bogus makes the theory without any regard to the historical context of how did the right to bear arms get deemed to be a, uh, a fundamental right and enshrined not just in the Second Amendment, but also state declarations of rights. That, that subject is totally ignored. Uh, and, and then Professor Anderson merely re repeats the Bogus thesis. She doesn't pretend to uh, to find anything new. She just cites the bogus article over and over and a couple of other secondary sources. Um, so uh, another th important thing about this is that Professor Bogus himself admits that there's no direct evidence of his theory. A and he says, but it's the circumstantial evidence because, well, people didn't write this kind of stuff down because, because why? Uh, maybe they were ashamed to write it down or um, there must have been debates where this came up, but nobody wrote it down. I mean, come on. This this was the most closely guarded secret about the Second Amendment until I guess 19 was it 98 when he wrote his article uh, and, and suddenly he discovers this. I mean, please. Yeah, this is ridiculous. And I want to share something that uh, just a, a piece of of uh, your new article. You say, consider the text, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And you say that use of the, the phrase the people was subversive in the long run to limiting the right to white people. Uh, as abolitionists would argue, the explicit text here in another Bill of Rights guarantees uh, was plainly inconsistent with excluding African-Americans from the right. The defect at the founding was not in recognizing the rights of white Americans, but was in not recognizing the rights of black Americans. And it seems to me, Steve, like this is again, a, a very inconvenient truth that uh, uh, folks like uh, Carl Bogus and Carol Anderson don't want to acknowledge that when we look at the history of the Second Amendment, when we look at those limiting factors, we're actually talking about gun control. We're not talking about the right to keep MRRs. We're talking about depriving certain Americans of their constitutional rights. And, and the history of this country, I think, has been one, certainly uneven progress, but, but I would say steady progress towards all Americans, to that phrase that the, the, the right of the people uh, to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, I, I think that the history of this country has been one of making progress towards the full realization uh, of that phrase. Right. Um, when, after the abolition of slavery, the Southern states reenacted uh, what they call the Black Codes, and they deprived African Americans of the right to keep and bear arms. You had to get a license and there was no standard, so they could either grant it or not grant it at their discretion. Um, and so Congress came back with legislation like the Freedmen's Bureau Act, which declared the constitutional right to bear arms by all citizens, uh, and then adopted the 14th Amendment, declaring all persons born 
in the U.S. and subject to its jurisdiction to be citizens and to protecting privileges or immunities and, and due process equal protection. And so legally, the Constitution came up to date and said states can't deprive people of Second Amendment rights. And, and we, after that, we reach a point in the Jim Crow era when some states tried to have high fees for, to register guns and they wouldn't register guns to African-Americans. And, and so it's been one fight after another, but the, the Second Amendment has always been the ideal, just as the other Bill of Rights guarantees. And, and sometimes laws interfere with that or practices interfere with that. But it, we've had steady progress toward recognition, recognition of the rights of all people, African-Americans and, and all other Americans to keep and bear arms. There, there are defects in our system. There are injustices that happen, but that's what the standard is. And that, that's what was adopted. And that's why, thank goodness they said the people, you know, there were actually three Southern state constitutions in the antebellum period, which only guaranteed the right to bear arms to free white citizens. And that, that of course was done away with after the abolition of slavery. But, but once again, the people means the people. That's a powerful argument. Absolutely, it is. And it's an argument that uh, folks need to hear as we get ready for the Supreme Court uh, oral arguments in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, a, a case dealing with the right of the people uh, to bear arms. And, and I will also note that uh, one of the things that you mentioned is not, you know, a, a main thrust of your article for by any means, but you do note that even today, uh, with, you know, uh, gun control laws that are racially neutral on their face, we still see a disproportionate number of Black Americans who are impacted by these laws. In New York, for example, where the average citizen cannot obtain a, uh, a license to carry a firearm in self-defense, what is it, 78% of those facing the felony charges for carrying a weapon without a license are Black Americans? In the state of New York, right. Um, look, these discretionary issuance laws, the only precedent for them would be the Black Codes, and, and they have the same result. How many people in crime-ridden communities get a license to carry? Well, the New York courts say that if you live in a high crime area, that's no reason to get a license. You have to be somebody really special. So it, it allows for racial discrimination and, and it allows for, for fraud and bribery because we've had that in New York City. And um, look, uh, the case in the Supreme Court is important from, in this regard. Uh, by the way, I, I filed an amicus brief in the Supreme Court on behalf of the National African American Gun Owners Association. Uh, I think many, many people in the Black community understand exactly what's at stake here. And it, what, what's at stake is, is this right going to be recognized for everybody without this implication that it's only reserved to certain people by class, maybe by race, other factors that are irrational. Um, and, and by the way, I'm going to make a plug for my book, The Right to Bear Arms, A Constitutional Right of the People or Privilege of the Ruling Class. It deals with all the issues that are before the Supreme Court in this uh, New York case. And so I, your, your folks might want to take a look at that book. It is, a, uh, it is a fantastic read. I will also plug the fact that you are blogging over at Reason.com, The Vala Conspiracy, this week, uh, writing more about the uh, Bruin case. So I'd encourage folks to check that out as well. Uh, Steve Albrecht, as always, my friend, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. This is great history. It's important history. Uh, and again, we've got to push back against these lies uh, regarding our constitutional and civil rights. Right. The whole purpose of attacking the Second Amendment in this way is to support criminalization of, of gun possession, criminalization of Second Amendment rights.
Yep, absolutely. Steve Hallbrook, thanks so much for being on Bearing Arms Cam and Company, sir. Good to see you, Cam. Take care. I appreciate uh, Steve Hallbrook joining us on the program. Looking forward to having him back again very soon. Right now, though, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story. Our good deed of the day and our recidivist report, we will start there with a story out of Davenport, Iowa. A man on parole has been charged in a shooting incident at a Davenport nightclub. And this, I got to tell you, this case is just a perfect example of the problems in our criminal justice system uh, that, that, that occur on a daily basis. So 25-year-old Brandon Scott Hagdorn, he's now charged with one count of intimidation with a dangerous weapon, which is a, a Class C felony under Iowa law that carries a prison sentence of 10 years. He's been charged in connection with an April 30th shooting back in uh, Davenport. He's also been charged with being a felon in possession of a firearm. That's a Class D felony in Iowa that carries a potential five-year prison sentence. Uh, Hagdorn, due to be released from parole, in just a couple of days, October 16th, we'll get into what he was on parole for. But his criminal history goes back to 2015, when Hagnor was arrested on two counts of first-degree burglary. Now, that's a Class B felony in Iowa. It's punishable by 25 years in prison. Hagnor was also charged with one count of third-degree criminal mischief. That's an aggravated misdemeanor, punishable by up to two years in prison. Hagnor got a plea deal. The felony charges were dropped. He was uh, able to plead down to a charge of criminal mischief and a charge of trespass causing injury, which is a, another misdemeanor offense. And instead of the two years in prison, he got two years probation. The following year, June 8, 2017, he's arrested for selling marijuana. That's a Class D felony, same as being a felon in possession of a firearm in Iowa. Again, potential five-year prison sentence. He pleaded guilty to selling pot, and he was sentenced on January 25, 2018 to two more years of probation. Later that year, November 12, 2018, Hagdorn arrested on charges of first-degree burglary, assault causing bodily injury, and third-degree criminal mischief. This time around, he's not allowed to plead down solely to a misdemeanor offense. Instead, July 10, 2019, he was sentenced to five years in prison after pleading guilty to a charge of third-degree burglary. His probation in the other cases was revoked, he was sentenced to five years in prison on the marijuana charge from 2017, as well as to two years in prison on the criminal mischief charge from 2015. That was July 10th, 2019. A five-year sentence, right? October 27th, 2020. What was that, 15 months? He's released from prison. He has put on work release. And then just a couple of months later, January 25th of this year, he was placed on parole. He completed his parole on the marijuana conviction in June of this year, and he was supposed to have completed his parole on the burglary conviction on October the 16th. But again, that's all now up in the air since he's been arrested on uh, additional felony charges. I'm sure, by the way, that uh, Brandon Hagdorn's got to get another plea bargain offered to him. I have no idea what sort of consequences there might be for the uh, latest charges, but uh, I, I see no reason to believe that the criminal justice system is going to take this case any more seriously than it has taken the others when uh, Mr. Hagdorn has appeared in court. But again, rather than focusing on ensuring that violent criminals face actual consequences for their crimes, gun control activists, they want to criminalize your right to keep and bear arms. That's where they're focused, not on ensuring that violent criminals do serious time. They want you to be a criminal, and they want 
keeping and bearing arms to be a prison-worthy offense. Now, on to today's Armed Citizen story. From uh, Maricopa County, Arizona, where a manhunt ended with a homeowner shooting a suspect accused of injuring a Maricopa County deputy. This happened on uh, Saturday. Started Saturday morning when this guy, uh, this uh, suspect, uh, allegedly injured a sheriff's deputy. The point that the sheriff's deputy is now on life support. Uh, Hours later, the same suspect shows up at a home, apparently knew the homeowner. We don't know the exact circumstances, but he did try to gain entry to the home where he was not wanted. And uh, the uh, Maricopa County Sheriff says that the uh, homeowner in question ended up shooting and uh, injuring that uh, manhunt suspect, allowing the police to take him into custody. Again, we still don't know a whole lot of uh, specific details uh, about this case, but we do know the homeowner's not facing any charges. Sheriff says he was acting in self-defense and a uh, wanted man. Uh, well, I was going to say wanted man now behind bars, but I think he might still be in the hospital. Once he's released from the hospital, a wanted man will soon be behind bars. And finally today, our good deed of the day, where neighbors in Santee, California, sitting at home, turned out to be in the right place at the right time, and uh, they were willing and able to do the right thing when a small plane crashed into this neighborhood. Uh, Two people were killed in the incident, uh, others uh, hospitalized with injuries. But neighbors were able to rescue a husband and wife who were stuck in their home. Uh, Phil and Marie Morris were watching TV in their living room, and all of a sudden the plane's fuselage slid into their house. Uh, one of those who uh, sprang to the aid of the Morrises, Michael Keeley, 43-year-old off-duty probation officer in Santee, California, he woke up and ran outside when he felt his house shaking from the explosion. He saw a UPS truck in flames, and he saw his neighbors calling through an open window. So he ended up standing on a rock. There's smoke pouring out of their, uh, the, the, the Morris's home at this point. But he was able to reach in through the window, grab Marie Morris's arm, help her climb out. He said that her forearms were burned, her hair was singed, and Keeley was in his bare feet at the time, so I'm glad I didn't have to go inside. Uh, in the backyard, meanwhile, neighbors were knocking down fencing to rescue Phil Morris from the backyard. Uh, the couple, uh, thankfully, both uh, able to escape their home without serious injury, thanks to the quick thinking uh, and fast actions of uh, 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 the neighbors there, including uh, 43-year-old Michael Keeley, uh, one of several good Samaritans there in Santee, California. Now, that's going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. want to thank you for being a part of today's program. As always, we will be back tomorrow. I might even be able to sneak away and uh, get to the studio tomorrow. Uh, but we will be back with another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Don't forget to check out the website as well. Cam and, uh, Bearing, I almost said camandcompany.com. I don't think that exists. And if it does, I'm not responsible for the content. No, check out Bearing Arms com throughout the day for even more of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. If you like what you see, you can become a VIP subscriber. Uh, just use the promo code GUNS, G-U-N-S, and you'll get 25% off of your VIP membership. We really do appreciate your support. It allows us to bypass some of the gatekeepers of information out there, the big tech companies, the uh, anti-gun media, so we can bring you the information that you need to know about to ensure that our right to keep and bear arms stays strong and secure. Uh, And in exchange for uh, your support and our way of saying thanks for your support, when you become a VIP member, we're going to give you exclusive commentary, news stories, stuff you just won't find anywhere else. So 
Again, it's our way of saying thank you for supporting us because it really does mean a lot. We'll see you back here tomorrow. But until then, be well, be safe, and be free.